0: Well, thanks for coming along tonight, uh, where Senator Don Farrell makes a very welcome first appearance at the Sydney Institute. He's well known to many of you because of his very senior role in the Albanese government as the Minister for Trade and Tourism and Deputy Le- and some other things and Deputy Leader of the Government in the Senate. Um, I'll just go briefly to his background. Um, he was elected to the Senate in 2007 and stayed there till 2013 and re-elected again in 2016, he held ministerial positions in the previous Labour government. His background, as he puts, puts in, his, um, in his declaration in the Parliamentary Handbook, a waiter, a, 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 a something worker, I can't read it. What is that? Uh, a mail sorter and a shop assistant. Um, and also the founder of Farrell Wines, which is quite a good thing to found, I would say. And so he's very welcome here today, but of course also a very senior official in the shop distributed and allied employees association uh, for quite a few years. And so the minister's here tonight to talk about Australia's trade, a report from over the last six months. Many welcome. Uh, You're very welcome. Thank you. Just grab a little glass
1: of water. It's been a thirsty day. All right. Well, thank you for that uh, very kind uh, introduction, uh, Gerard. Um, um, I should acknowledge that uh, the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and I pay my respects to their uh, elders, past, present and uh, and emerging. Um, I bumped into Gerard at a bookshop in Melbourne some years ago and, in fact, he invited me on that occasion to come and speak to the Sydney Institute. And um, of course, it's taken all this uh, time to uh, to get that organised. But um, you just appeared on uh, Insiders, which which you don't seem to appear <coughs> so frequently on any no. any uh, anymore. Um, but um, I always read Jared's um, um, column in the in the Australian. Um, I don't always agree with it, um, and uh, you know. He's probably not flavour of the month in certain sections of the Labor Party. But I do find uh, that the forensic way in which he examines his topics, um, you always find out something that you didn't know before. And uh, I think it's quite a fascinating read, so I always make sure I do it. I'd also mention my old friend John uh, fernan um, <coughs> Jared mentioned I was an official of the... Shop Assistance Union, I um, started in 1976, uh, which is about the time John uh, would have uh, started. Of course, he went on to much bigger and better things, being a barrister in, uh, in New South Wales. But it's great to see you here. Um, uh, I come from Adelaide. Um, and when I was young, I'm going to talk about a little bit about my father for Jared's benefit in a moment, but um, we um, when he came to Sydney as a, as a young person, of course, it was always so much more exciting than in uh, South Australia. And we'd, my father was an accountant, and uh, we'd drive across the Hay Plain. He was a chain smoker, and uh, we used to do it in May, so the windows were up. And we'd finally get to Sydney, and the big attraction in Sydney was um, our reward for um, you know, a couple of days in the car. Um, uh, was uh, um, doing, doing all the exciting things that uh, you do in um, in Sydney, um, and that uh, included the park just across the road. I don't know whether whether, whether we can see it. Lunar Park.
0: Um, interestingly enough, Lunar
1: Park actually started in South Australia. It started on Glenelg Beach, but. Um, when they wanted to open on Sunday, of course, the, um, the strict Methodist rules of uh, the Playford government meant that they couldn't open on Sunday. So, Mr. Luna Park moved to um, moved to New South Wales and set himself up over there. And I convinced—I <coughs> was five years of age—I convinced my father that I was old enough to go on the on the dodgems. And uh, uh, back then, um, you know, there weren't too many um, health and safety rules. So out there, I went on the five years of age, on the dodgems, and uh, um, somebody came and hit me from behind, and I smashed my lip into the um,
0: into the wheel, the wooden
1: wheel, and ended up uh, at the Royal North Shore Hospital um, with about five or six um, stitches that night. Um, so um, always an abiding memory of uh, my first visit to, uh, to Sydney. And of course, the other thing I remember is... Um, the building down here, the AMP building. It used to be the tallest building in Sydney and uh, another one of the things that we always did was to, uh, to go up to the uh, to the top there. Um, so um, <clears throat> I will talk a little bit, uh, as I say, about um, the,
0: the Shop Assistance Union.
1: Um, the Shop Assistance Union is known to be a right wing um, union in this, uh, in this country. But um, during the war, um, the Second War, um, the communists in South Australia, Australia. um, That's not a very familiar term anymore to most people, (laughs) um, but the communists got control of the Shop Assistance Union. And the only branch of the Shop Assistance Union that was taken over by the communists was the South South Australian Australian branch. And in 1953, um, my father assisted um, what would then be called the Groupers um, to um, get that union back from the communists and in uh, the safe hands of uh, of, uh, of the right wing of the uh, of the labour movement, um, where it stayed for for, for that uh, for the period since uh, since then, um, and that was uh, a year a year before I was uh, I was born. Um, My father went on to be the treasurer of the Democratic Labor Party in South Australia, which was the organisation that uh, resulted from the split in the Labor Parties um, in the 50s. And uh, we grew up in a family where um, every night you would sit together for a meal. Nobody does that anymore. Um, And uh, he would uh, talk to us. Perhaps a better description is lecturers on the uh, day's political uh, events, and of course, um, that was uh, that was how I sort of built up my knowledge of uh, of, of politics um, from uh, every night getting a lecture from from him about um, you know the state of the world, um, and uh, you know they, they they talk about young people uh, being socialist uh, when they're uh, Young, uh, um, having a heart, and uh, being conservative uh, when they're old, having a head. So I started conservative, and I've remained conservative for all of (laughs) all of that time. The the world might have changed, but I've stayed pretty much the uh, the same. And uh, I guess one of the wonders of the uh, current. Uh, Albanese government uh, is uh, just how well uh, myself and Anthony Albanese get on, and uh, we have a uh, an ambition to create a long term stable Labour government, and uh, I'm uh, very happy to be working with Anthony to work uh, to achieve that. And of course, um, he uh, offered me the trade portfolio. Um, I hadn't had the portfolio in in opposition. Uh, but uh, in government, he, uh, he offered me that uh, position, and I grabbed it with both hands because, having uh, worked in the labour movement, both uh, unions and in the, the labour party for the previous forty-six years, um, I felt I, uh, you know, this was the perfect job for me, and uh, I very much appreciated the. Uh, the faith which uh, the Prime Minister has put in me, um, in what is now a very difficult uh, period of, uh, of time in terms of uh, of, uh, of trade. Uh, at about seven thirty um, Sydney time tonight, um, our Prime Minister will meet with the President of, uh, of China, and uh, of course one of the topics they'll be discussing is. Some of the what we describe as trade blockages uh, between Australia and uh, and China, uh, with a view to trying uh, to resolve some of the disputes uh, that uh, that we have with that uh, country. Um, yesterday, I um, I. Um, uh, mate, we
0: get to talk a bit more into the mic into the mic, yes, of course. <coughs> Here we go. How
1: about that? Does that sound? Yeah, actually, yeah, I can tell. Well, that's a lot better. Um, yesterday, I uh, addressed the uh, APEC uh, study group uh, in, uh, in Melbourne. And uh, I, said too loud now? No, that's fine. Okay. Um, well, I um, had I the opportunity to, to address uh, the group about the uh, Albanese um, government's uh, trade, trade agenda. And uh, <coughs> we basically have four um, guiding principles um, in the trade uh, area. Uh, the first one is diversification. Um, and then uh, secondly... Uh, defending a rules-based system, particularly uh, using um, the resources of the uh, World Trade Organisation, um, and then diversifying the range of products that we we sell and particularly looking um, forward to the uh, uh, renewable industry And finally, um, making sure that the benefits of trade are shared fairly um, throughout the the Australian uh, community. Um, The uh, current American uh, trade uh, ambassador, Catherine Tai, describes um, that as being worker-centric trade agreements. Um, And we're all familiar with some of the problems that the United States has had in terms of its uh, free trade uh, agreements uh, post the um, uh, 2016 election of uh, of President uh, Trump. Um, Why are we talking about uh, diversification? Well, um, as we've seen over the last couple of years, um, we've had all of our eggs in the China basket. um, And that's proved to be uh, very problematic we're not the only country to um, experience uh, trade blockages uh, with China. There's lots of other countries uh, who now, I think, see that diversification is the uh, is the way to go in terms of your trade uh, trading arrangements. And so, um, what we've done since we've uh, come into power is try and look at. Additional places where we can sell sell our products. Um, the four items that uh, were the subject of uh, trade uh, blockages, in particular, uh, were wine, uh, barley, meat, and of all things, crayfish. Um, they were all banned, and they, they they valued at about twenty billion dollars a year of lost trade that we used to deal with um, with China. Now. There is a paradox in our relationship with China because despite all of those trading blockages, um, China continues to be by a long way our largest uh, trading partner. Um, A combination of um, uh, shortages of goods, high prices and the uh, war um, in uh, Ukraine, Russia um, has pushed up the value of those uh, of those products to uh, to record levels so on the one hand um, China is stopping us purchasing or sorry um, China has stopped buying um, a range of the products I just mentioned before on the other hand they're buying and paying more uh, for a range of uh, a range of other products um, part of our strategy with uh, with China is to try and stabilise the relationship and of course that's um, part of that process will be begin tonight when uh, uh, our Prime Minister and uh, the the Chinese President uh, meet Uh, but um, we um, have a strategy to try and um, diversify and uh, when we came into office there were two agreements that had been negotiated Uh, One involved the uh, United Kingdom, the other one involved uh, India. Um, Both of those agreements uh, offered uh, new opportunities for Australian uh, companies uh, to sell their uh, products into uh, a range of companies at a lower price. So we became more competitive in those uh, those markets. Unfortunately, uh, the previous government didn't get around to approving those uh, agreements uh, before they they lost office and so that job has uh, has fallen to me so on the first opportunity that uh, we had which was uh, in early august we resubmitted the agreements to the uh, treaties um, committee so the process is the treaties committee has to examine them give australians an opportunity to say yes or no uh, as to whether they want this agreement um uh, bring bring back a report. Uh, that report will come down in the next couple of days on both the UK and, uh, and India. And on the basis that uh, the committee um, will, will uh, give the tick to both of those agreements, um, I've got legislation ready to go next Monday uh, and hopefully by the end of next week uh, Australia will have approved both those news, new new agreements. Um, so, um, a very positive step in, in our uh, in our relationship uh, with those uh, with those countries, and obviously giving uh, huge benefits to Australian uh, producers um, in terms of new opportunities, um, so that we we begin that diversification process. In addition to that, um, we've got two new agreements that we're uh, we're negotiating. One with the uh, European uh, Union and the other one with the United States and a range of other countries in our uh, in our region. Um, the EU one is important. We started that process uh, in 2018, so four years ago. Um, we actually started before New Zealand. Uh, but because of our problems with, um, in particular, France, over the issue of uh, submarines, um, New Zealand was able to get the jump on us, and uh, they now have an agreement uh, with the EU. um, And we're playing a little bit of catch up. Why is the EU so important? Well, (coughs) just like us, they've realised that um, they've had all the eggs in the China basket. Um, And when you look at the issue of um, particularly critical minerals, which are going to be essential for. the electric vehicles of the uh, of the future, um, they want to make sure that there's a range of countries that they can purchase from, and not simply be limited to to, to buying product from uh, from China. So they're looking to uh, to Australia. It's obviously a huge market, uh, 450 million uh, people, uh, an economy worth uh, 23 trillion dollars. Um, with the, we, we were able to very quickly resolve the issue of uh, of the submarines. It, it was expensive, um, almost uh, six billion dollars, uh, and we didn't get a single single submarine. Um, but also, the other impediment was the attitude of the previous government to the issue of uh, of climate change. Um, and of course, on uh, coming to office, the government made a commitment. Uh, uh, f- in respect of 2030 and then also 2050, and that was very well received in, uh, in, uh, in Europe amongst uh, the, the, the countries of the, uh, the EU. Um, again, I'm confident that um, by midway through next year, we will um, be able to neg- negotiate and finalise an agreement with the uh, EU that will give us access to a, to a massive new uh, market There are still some um, difficult issues to be resolved. Um, This issue of uh, geographic indicators, um, 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 the Italians and uh, the Greeks are particularly keen uh, to get um, some of the terms that they consider to be theirs uh, restricted from use in Australia, and that's obviously a a difficult, uh, dif- difficult issue for Australian producers. But we're working through all of those uh, problems and we'll continue to uh, negotiate uh, in good faith. Um, one of the big advantages that we've got, um, for instance, that New Zealand didn't have is this issue of um, critical a- access to critical minerals. Um, when, uh, when I was in the United States a few weeks ago, the Americans passed what they called the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I don't think it has that much to do with inflation, but that's what it's called. Um, that act um, allows Americans who buy um, an electric vehicle uh, a tax concession. So it's a deduction, about $3,750 tax concession if you buy an electric vehicle. But there's a number of conditions um, before you can um, get that um, discount. And one of them is that you have to buy a product uh, that's made uh, with critical minerals that comes from countries with a free trade agreement with the United States. Um, And uh, of course, Australia is one of those. We have a free trade agreement with the United States. So that means that we're in the box seat um, to sell our critical minerals uh, into uh, into the United States. <coughs> um, and there's a number of people here from the minerals um, uh, areas. Uh, of course, they will tell you there's a number of interesting things about critical minerals. If you were looking at a iron ore mine, you'd look out, and as far as the eye could see, you would see iron ore. Um, critical minerals are quite different. Um, um, they tend to be deeper down. Uh, they're smaller, and of course, what that means that they won't last as long uh, in terms of um, um, how long the mine might last. So you're going to have to spend more money to get the uh, the minerals out, and then you have to you're going to have to keep reinvesting in new mines. Um, and Um, the agreement that we're now negotiating uh, with uh, the United States called the um, Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, again, gives us an opportunity to firstly re-engage the United States. Um, After the 2016 election, it became virtually impossible for either the Republicans or the the Democrats to support uh, free trade agreements. And so an agreement that had been initiated by President Obama, the the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, was never approved by the United States. This Indo-Pacific Agreement um, gives the United States an opportunity to re-engage in Asia because nearly all of the uh, ASEAN countries have uh, signed up to the the agreement Um, and gives us an opportunity to... Uh, discuss with the Americans about greater investment um, particularly in our uh, in our mining um, industries um, so there, there there are a range of uh, agreements that uh, either we're in the process of uh, implementing through the uh, through the Parliament or uh, in the process of negotiating and I think both of those new agreements the EU agreement and the um, the the uh, um, Indo-Pacific agreement. We'd hope to finalise those by the middle of uh, of next year. Um, having, um, uh, but both of those agreements, of course, have the opportunity to deal with what um, we call the transition. So um, we've in the past been um, a conventional energy superpower. We export um, huge amounts of, uh, of uh, coal, of gas, um, to um, our, uh, our trading partners. Um, that, um, uh, you know, the world is decarbonising. Um, that process will not be an easy process. People sort of, it rolls off the tongue, you know, um, net zero by 2050. In fact, it's going to be um, a a difficult process. Uh, One of the things that we need to ensure is that in dealing with that transition, that we continue to invest in the conventional um, energy sources long enough so that by the time we uh, can get to uh, the renewable uh, energies, that we continue to have a stable energy uh, energy system. Um, and in all of the discussions I've just had in Japan and Korea, the two things that uh, the, those countries uh, are talking about are hydrogen and critical minerals. And both of those are, uh, are going to be essential if we're going to get to uh, that stage of uh, decarbonisation there's a couple of things um, about hydrogen of course nobody's perfected um, as yet um, how you might use that in our uh, current um, energy system and um, um, if you think about gas if you transport gas from australia um, to japan for instance um it's transported as uh, as a liquid, so you, you cool it down. Um, you transport it at uh, minus 150 degrees, roughly. To uh, liquefy hydrogen, you have to um, reduce the temperature to 250 degrees. So 100 degrees cooler. So um, just developing the technology to transport those... Um, uh, that, that that hydrogen. The other thing about hydrogen um, is that the molecules are smaller than a gas molecule. So you can't use existing gas pipelines to simply replace uh, gas with with hydrogen. You're going to have to build a whole new uh, whole new system. And of course, what does that mean? Well that means a whole lot more investment. and um, you know one of the objectives out of all of our free trade agreements, be to try and boost the level of investment. So, just as we've been a conventional energy superpower, uh, we become a renewable superpower into the future. And as I says um, that combination of, uh, of hydrogen and uh, the critical minerals um, put us in a very, very strong position to ensure that we, um, we're going to benefit um, into the future as we've done in the conventional energy um we hope to um to, to be able to do the same in the energy of the uh, the future um the other thing that uh, just on that on that topic um, we recently um, negotiated the world's first green economy agreement with Singapore so um Singapore um, is is leading uh, leading the way in terms of uh Decarbonising uh, their economy. Um, there's a company called Sun Cable um, that's currently in the process of negotiating with uh, with Singapore about building um, a connection between Darwin, where they'll use um, solar panels uh, to produce uh, electricity, that's then sent all the way to Singapore. Um, so not only will be will be supplying um, that new energy in a traditional way um, we're going to be the if, if this comes off and there's every indication that it will um, we'll be the main supplier of um, of renewable energy to uh, Singapore into the uh, to the future um, we've also established a, a task force the 2040 task force um, to bring government industry unions community representatives, Together, um, to think about opportunities in trade, but also um, to make sure that we bring the the community along with us. Um, in the past, there has sometimes been a sense that not everybody has shared in the benefits of free trade uh, agreements. That some sectors have uh, uh, have suffered more than uh, more than others, um, and so part of my My uh, task is to make sure that as we negotiate these new agreements, as we bring them uh, into force, uh, that we explain it to the Australian community uh, and that we bring them along with us. Um, And again, that's something that the Biden administration is doing in the United States, and that's what we want to do uh, over here. Um, The other uh, area that... uh, um, is an opportunity for us is to uh, uh, embrace uh, uh, First Nation voices and to uh, ensure that uh, they participate in the um, uh, trading arrangements uh, into the future. And there are a number of agreements uh, in place um, that uh, give the opportunity to First Nations uh, peoples to be involved in that uh, trade uh, uh, in those trading arrangements. Um, so um, I suppose that's that's a brief summary of what we've done in six months. It's been a busy six months. We, um, Within two days of uh, becoming the Trade Minister, um, the Prime Minister took us up to Indonesia um, and uh, we started the ball rolling there in uh, trying to uh, build uh, stronger uh, trading relationships and... Um, I understand uh, at the uh, the G twenty uh, this week, um, the Indonesian president wants the Australian Prime Minister to be uh, standing uh, right next to him because we were one of the first countries to, or we were the first country to commit to uh, attending the uh, the G twenty. So thank you for the opportunity for um, going through those uh, trading uh, arrangements, and very uh, happy to ask uh, answer any questions that you might have.
0: So uh, many thanks to the minister, and also I should say thanks to King and Wood Malleson for providing this great facility today with views over Sydney Harbour, which uh, the minister well used. Um, so we come to questions and discussion, um, and also there'll be people on Zoom um, who may want to come in. Can I? You've obviously been extremely busy uh, from your first trip, and you've been through well, you've been through South Korea, Japan, Indonesia. Uh, Britain, you've been in the US, have you? Uh, New Zealand. And then you're also Minister for Tourism. So you must be one of the busiest people in the Cabinet without question. And also as you know, trade's a very technical issue. You've got to have a very technical mind to sit through those discussions. So what are you also doing as the Minister, Special Minister for State? What's that all about? Haven't you got? En- haven't you got enough to do? <laughs> Well, um, Special Minister of
1: State is where all the bodies are buried. And uh, it's a really terrific uh, terrific portfolio to have. And I'm very pleased that the Prime Minister uh, left me with it. Um, The uh, Special Minister of State looks after a number of things, elections. So I'm in the process of making some changes to the Referendums Act to uh, facilitate the um, um, ..the referen- referendum on the Indigenous voice. Um, uh, but more particularly, it deals with the issue of, of how we conduct uh, elections. And um, um, I'm planning to um, uh, review the way in which we um, conduct elections and the rules, uh, rules around them um, to try and increase the level of um, transparency um, in, in, in elections... At the moment, um, you can donate something in the vicinity of fifteen thousand dollars or less and not have to declare it. We're planning to reduce that figure to to one thousand um, dollars. At the moment, um, sometimes it's months or years before you find out who's donated to elections. Uh, we're planning to introduce um, uh, real time disclosures, so within seven days of uh, an individual or a company um, um, making a donation, um, you'll better to look up on a website and uh, see who's uh, donating to, to which candidates. Um, truth in advertising. Um, it's a law that was introduced in South Australia before the last election. Uh, we're, we're, go- we're, we're, we're going to try and encourage politicians and political parties to tell the truth in, uh, in elections uh, and uh, have a... <laughs> It's not easy <laughs> um, um, do that, but I guess the other um, thing that we we're, uh, we're also looking at is how we regulate the amount of people, uh, the amount of money that, in particular, rich individuals can spend um, in in an election, because I think there's a sense in the community that um, if if you're rich and you're participating in the uh, political process. Um, You can, you know, buy election results. Uh, We saw that um, in the uh, in the 2019 um, election, in particularly with Clive Palmer, Um, tens of millions of dollars spent um, in that election. Didn't have any um, political success in the sense of electing candidates, but he did ensure that uh, Bill Shorten uh, didn't win that uh, didn't win that election. Um, He's done the same in the last election um got one one victory one victory in in victoria um but it suggests that um uh you know if you're rich and you're prepared to make a financial commitment you can get some election results uh, and of course we've seen it with the uh, the deals the figures that um came out last week about the um, the amount of money that the teal candidates um, spent in that election um, so I think there's there's um, an appetite in the Australian people to um, regulate the amount of money people can spend on uh, on elections. and um, i'm uh, I'm going to be trying to see whether or not uh, we can get some electoral form that makes, uh, makes the Australian electoral system fairer and more transparent.
2: Thank you. Would that um, include regulation on the amount of money that organisations who are spending members' money um, is able to be deployed in the interests of their political objectives?
1: Look, I think I think if we're going to go down this track, there has to be um, a regulation across. Um, you're, I assume you're talking about unions there, uh, <laughs> but um, look, there, there's going to have to be. Um, I, I, I think some sensible discussion. I don't want to preempt the discussion at this stage, uh, but I, th- I think we're getting to the point where um, there, there needs to be a, a regulation on how much people can spend in elections. Many of the state governments have, have, have done this, um, and um, I want to try and progress that uh, that issue.
2: Look, thank you for that. In your discussions with some of our uh, partners, particularly, say, Japan and South Korea, do they show any interest or concern over the behaviour of Australian trade unions, which from time to time could endanger the critical supply of various products to Japan and Korea?
1: Well, I was with... um about a hundred Japanese business um, people last night at the Japanese uh, embassy. And I have to say nobody raised that particular um, topic um, with me. Um, <laughs> they might have been thinking it, they just didn't raise it. There was a few other issues they they raised, but not that one.
0: I've got a question from, uh, from Canberra, actually. Uh, what are your thoughts on trade diversification and the role of Stronger bilateral trade agreements.
1: Um, look, I don't think we have to limit ourselves to bilateral um, arrangements. Um, obviously, bilateral arrangements are good. We've got, um, you know, got one with um, the United Kingdom. We've got one with India, one with New Zealand, um, and they're all good, good agreements that are delivering for. Uh, Australian business and Australian workers. But on the other hand, we, you know, we want to negotiate an agreement with the the EU, and that's obviously, you know, um, a large number of uh, companies, uh, countries. And in terms of our negotiations with the um, United States over IPEF, um, 13 or 14 countries um, in that agreement. So I don't think we should limit ourselves to bilateral, bilateral agreements. Um, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, another really good um, agreement, has got a whole range of um, uh, partners in that. So, um, you know, we we need to look at, you know, what other countries are prepared to do. If that means a multilateral um, agreement, then that's what we should be looking at. Um, if it's a bilateral agreement, well, they're good too.
2: Thank you, Minister, and thank you for sharing some of your youthful experiences in Sydney as well. Um, I wanted to ask you about critical minerals, uh, because obviously there is an opportunity for us, in a sense, to get back into the car industry, um, at least in the battery part of it. Mm. We've tended to always fall short of being able to value add, so we end up exporting vast amounts of the original minerals but not doing anything else to them. Do you think there's an opportunity for us actually to value add and and truly make use of what you say is a, a limited amount of those minerals?
1: Um, look, I I couldn't agree more with that uh, proposition, and uh, um, with my export uh, finance uh, hat uh, on, we're we're trying to encourage companies not only just to dig the product out of the ground, but then to uh, to value add it and things like. Um, um, turning lithium into lithium oxide I mean it's only a relatively small process but it's an additional part along the way um, Anthony Albanese went to the last government saying last election saying we you know we do want to build things in this country again I personally think it was a scandal that we let uh, Holden and Toyota um, leave uh, leave our shores I think there were actually national security reasons why we should have a car industry, Um, we'd have to start from scratch again, um, unfortunately, because, um, you know, we no longer have a car industry. But um, I know uh, Ed Husik, our um, industry uh, minister, is thinking about ways in which we can do that value-adding. And I think where the opportunity arises, where we think we can be competitive, um, um, you know, on a a world scale, uh, scale, Uh, then I think we have to get back into these industries.
2: Minister, um, is the government developing any particular strategy in relation to Indonesia? I know we have an existing economic relationship uh, agreement with Indonesia, but we are sitting next to a country of 280 million people with one of the fastest growing economies in the world, which will be seventh or fifth largest in the world quite shortly. We have enormous geographic advantage, and yet, we do have almost nobody who speaks Indonesian. We do not teach it in our schools. We have very few Indonesian students here. And basically, uh, we're sitting, frankly, on top of a, a huge gold mine and seem to show a complete inability to take advantage.
1: I couldn't agree more. Um, the um, – so I was elected by the caucus to be a minister on the Tuesday. On the Wednesday, I was sworn in uh, by the Governor General as the Trade Minister. On the Thursday, I was on a flight with the Prime Minister to uh, to Indonesia, where we met with the uh, President. In fact, coincided with my uh, my birthday, and so <coughs> I'm one of the few people that uh, have had Happy Birthday sung to them <coughs> by the uh, Indonesian President in uh, in the palace. Um, I think um, the. Prime Minister understands just how important Indonesia is. You've, you've mentioned the reason, population of 270 uh, million people, um, about to become the fifth largest uh, economy in the world. Um, I think, if, if we're honest about it, <coughs> the shift in focus to Asia started under the Hawke-Keating government. Um, we – changed our focus to, to look to, to Indonesia. Um, but in the, in you know, after um, Prime Minister Keating lost, then we lost that focus. Um, I think under this government, you'll find that we are refocusing um, on uh, on Indonesia. Um, they, of course, are very interested in our critical minerals. Um, they have some ambitions to um, be leaders in the uh, electric uh, industry so obviously we can have some discussions with them Um, but look I I think there's a whole range of areas where we can improve our trading relationship with Indonesia and it's one of the things I'm going to try and do. Um,
0: Minister, going on from that you spoke about diversity and one of the lessons probably from our fallout with China and COVID has been that we have probably been too dependent on thinking of China as our golden mountain, to reverse the metaphor, um, there's been discussion in the last few days about it would be better if we did diversify more. So we'd have to build relations better with a lot of our Southeast Asian um, um, neighbours. What are the focuses on in that, in terms of who, but also trade is about they need what we have that sort of thing. So what are the areas that will grow with that kind of development with our neighbours?
1: Yeah, so one of the areas I didn't particularly focus on, but in the last week we have renegotiated our ASEAN agreement um, and uh, we've modernised that agreement. We've included things like the digital economy um, into that uh, into that agreement. Um, we've got a population of 25, 26 million and yet we produce food um, capable of feeding seventy million people. Um, I think. I think we. What do we do well? Well, we we produce lots of things like wheat and beef and sheep. Um, uh, we can be better at that. You know, we can do what we currently do well. We can do better. Um, and I think um, um, as. Um, uh, you get a rising middle class in the particularly the ASEAN countries, um, then the opportunity is there to sell more of our, our good product. Um, we have a good reputation up there. Um, they like our food. Um, just in agriculture alone, I think we can increase um, our sales. And as, as their standard of uh, living rises, then we can meet um, that with good Australian uh, product. And we can, you know, build our own industries, um, so that um, you know we're we're producing uh, producing more food. mean critical minerals will be will be important, um, hydrogen. Um, <coughs> the difficulty of transporting hydrogen is an issue, so we might have to produce ammonia. Um, so they're all sort of opportunities, and I think if you look around the, um, you know, when I was in Japan and Korea. Both of those countries are looking to Australia to um, provide the renewable energy for the for the future. Um, we should have got into the solar panel business um, all those years ago. We developed the technology for it, um, but it went offshore. In, in particular, it went to uh, to China. Um, there's going to be new technologies. Let's hope that the next time. We, we take the opportunities, and we get
0: that value add in, in, in Australia. get. The, get across. Um, just on that issue, I mean, is there a security concern that our alternative energy is dependent on China with uh, solar panels and, and wind turbines? Um, if that's the future of our energy, then we're dependent on China for our, our energy. Is that a concern?
1: Um, look, um, the whole world is looking at diversification at the moment. Um, we have to look at um, ways of ensuring that we continue um, to be able to sort of develop our renewable um, industries. Um, and um, uh, part, of that, part of that process will be looking at other, um, other methods... To, um, um, to access those, uh, those products. We, we believe in diversification. There are now opportunities um, to do that and we'll be looking at those into the future.
2: I, I, I want to extend this issue because essentially our coal exports are the export of electricity. Um, we deny ourselves the right to produce electricity, yet we, we sell it to an economy predominantly in China um which doesn't love us doesn't care for us and has de- demonstrated um, its preparedness to take punitive action when it thinks it's in its issue I- in its in its interests um that that seems to me to be a fundamental paradox in our approach to trade um and to the management of our own economy.
1: no look um you did right it's a paradox on the one hand, China is our largest uh, trading partner Um, china represents um, uh, more sales than japan korea and the united states uh, put together Um, and uh, they seem to um, adopt a a position where um, if they need a product and australia is the only source of that product well they continue to uh, to buy it but if they can get a product from another source and they don't like something that we've said or done uh then uh they introduced trade uh, trade blockages um we want a stable relationship with china um, and we want to see uh, the normalization of of relations um at the moment we're taking actions in the world trade organization in respect of um uh wine and uh, and barley uh we would prefer not to have to do that. We would prefer to have um, sensible negotiations um, with, uh, with China in order to resolve these issues. Um, but at the moment, that's the only, the only avenue. So tonight, uh, obviously, we hope that um, we start the process of uh, normalisation of uh, relations uh, and that the issues that we, we have with China, our largest trading partner, are resolved by negotiation rather than disputation.
0: Final question. Um, uh, uh, you spoke about our discussions with Britain about formalising that agreement. Is there any conflict between that ex-Brexit and our discussions with the European Union, or can you can the nation of Australia overcome that kind of division in Europe?
1: Um look there's no there's no conflict and um um, we were very quick off the mark to um, negotiate um, a free trade agreement with the, uh, with the United Kingdom. Um, in all of my discussions with the Europeans, um, they've not once said, look, you know, there's a problem because you've got uh, uh, a um, free trade agreement with uh, the United Kingdom. Um, like us, I think they've realised that there's been a problem with having all of your eggs in the China basket. Um, they want to diversify, they want to reduce their reliance, um, on uh, China for critical minerals where, are the world's largest or second largest, um, uh, supplier or have reserves of those critical minerals. Um, and, you know, they, they want to do business with us. They, they like us, um, they, you know, understand us by, by and large. And I think um, uh, all of the indications I've had is that um, you know while there are a couple of issues outstanding, uh, we will get an agreement with uh, with them in uh, in uh, in good time.
0: Okay, many thanks. Uh, So it's great to get Don Farrell here. We did meet in the bookshop in Melbourne on a Sunday morning and had a discussion with people walking around us, as I recall. Uh, It was a very interesting discussion. And we were hoping to have him very soon. But of course, the last two and a half years have been difficult for anyone running a public forum like we do. So it's great to have you here as the uh, First Minister to address, First Labour Minister to address one of our public forums uh, of this kind with questions and answers. We had our annual dinner last night with the Deputy PM and we have this is the first of, of a ministerial meeting we've had. So it's great that you're here. You have a, a, a hugely uh, diverse and demanding job. As you've indicated, you've been through... Tonight you've been through uh, trade. You've uh, spoke about um, uh, special minister of state. There's also tourism in your deputy leader in, of the government in the Senate. So it's a ter- ter- terrific workload, and we're very glad, pleased that you came here tonight. Gave us a uh, challenging paper, very interesting paper, and took questions from from us here and some people on Zoom. So we'll have you back again in the future. But for tonight, thank you and well done. Thank you. Thank you.